Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealth Tech Show, brought to you by CityWire. I'm Ian Horn, and this week I'm going to take another look at the hazy, confusing, and emerging relationship between traditional finance and cryptocurrency. I'm going to jump straight in and introduce my guest today, which is Ben Cruikshank from Flourish. In fact, going by job title, Ben is the head of Flourish at Flourish, which I assume makes him the person we need to be speaking to at Flourish. So, Ben, welcome to the Wealth Tech Show. Thanks, Ian. Really, uh, really glad to be here. And what, what is that with that job title, Head of Flourish? What does the Head of Flourish do? Broadly speaking, I oversee the business. Um, I personally spend, I think, the vast majority of my time thinking about client-facing issues. So sales, marketing, relationship management, support, uh, client-facing features. Spend a little less of my time on the core product development and engineering organization. I've got amazing, uh, amazing other leaders within my business handling it. So really voice of the customer within Flourish is, is ultimately where I spend my time, uh, time and energy. Great stuff. Okay. So look, Ben, I always give a good reason why I've invited someone onto the podcast uh, and you're not going to be the exception to this rule. And I've, I've invited you on because Flourish, which was founded in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, occupies a market space, which is a bit unorthodox, especially to our listeners in the UK. And that would be most of our listeners. Um, so you've, you've essentially gone from being a provider of, of cash management solutions to also having a platform for American financial advisors or, or RIAs, as you would call them, uh, to invest their clients directly in crypto. Um, again, we can't do that in the UK. So I'm really fascinated by this. I have a million and one questions. So so quickly, what um, what made a more conventional kind of cash management product provider kind of company enter the crypto space? What was the, what was the reason for this, Ben? Sure, I'd, I'd first start with our our overall mission and focus as a company. We are laser focused on providing advisors with innovative access to financial products that they can't easily access today. So mm -hmm. any sort of financial product that would help them, an advisor deliver better advice to his or her clients, but where they're blocked by regulation or operations, technology, business models, you name it. That's, that's really want, where we wanna focus and spend our time. Mm -hmm. About four years ago, we launched a product called Flourish Cash, a cash management solution built for advisors. You can basically think about it as almost a bank account replacement option that advisors can offer onto the, his or her clients with the um, you know, founding belief that advisors were leaving vast pools of money sitting outside their orbit in bank accounts where they often couldn't see it, couldn't help it, couldn't, couldn't advise on it. That was a fantastic first product for us. We built relationships with 430 different firms across America, representing something like a trillion dollars, built key integrations with reporting and financial planning software, um, really established ourselves within the industry. But from the start, we were never just a cash management solution. We're really an advisor-focused technology you know, operation overall. And so since day one, we've been asking our clients, what other challenges are coming across your desk? What are you facing? What don't you have good answers to? And over the past few years, what overwhelmingly emerged was crypto. That's not necessarily surprising. Crypto emerges into a multi-trillion dollar asset class. There are tens and tens of millions of Americans investing. Uh, one recent study shows that 94% of advisors have recently been asked by a client about crypto. Yet for that advisor that we work with, they often felt like they were sitting completely on the sidelines. They saw their clients flocking to the large retail exchanges or startup trading platforms. They see all this activity and they didn't have a way to help. They didn't have a way to participate. And so in the service of helping our advisors provide better advice to their existing clients to help them win more prospects, 
um, to help really you know take further steps of bringing the, their their practices into the digital age, we decided to roll out a solution called Flourish Crypto, a simple, secure, compliant, direct ownership cryptocurrency offering built for advisors and their clients. And I can get more into the details, but it was really that customer focus, listening to their challenges that brought us directly to the space. Yeah. So it seems to me the American market is in such a more mature space for that. And before I go into that, when I said the company set up in 2018, was that true of Flourish Cash specifically? Is how, how long has Flourish as a company been going for? We started development sometime in 2017 and launched Flourish Cash in 2018. So those those early pre-launch days in any in any startup are always a bit of a hazy blur in the rear view mirror. Yeah. We really count end of 18 as as the start of our of our real existence in the market. Gotcha. I want to be accurate with that stuff. Yeah. Um, so again, talking about the difference in maturity of markets. In the UK, we have conflicting figures on, on crypto adoption. So, so Gemini, the, the exchange, uh, their research shows that uh, almost one in five people in the UK have invested in cryptocurrency. Uh, and then the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, um, their estimate from last year is far more conservative. They put it at about 4.4% of the population. So it really does have a vast swing depending on who you ask, which is, I, I find that quite interesting. But I think the, the crux of it is, that we don't have the infrastructure in place yet for financial advisors and wealth managers to be thinking really seriously about, should I do crypto? It almost seems more speculative. Um, whereas in the US, am I right in thinking it's it's more filling a need that, that's there now, right? It's a bit of a mixed story. So some similar challenges with surveys. I think the US is unquestionably further along with that said, you can find numbers that are 15% of the American population, 20, 25% of the American population are already investing in crypto. Whichever number you take, it is very large amounts of people. And you can look at Coinbase, the largest retail exchange, both in the world and the United States, with an estimated 90 million verified users, just as all the signal you need to, to recognize that this is massively here from a uh, end investor perspective. From an advisor perspective, a little bit more of a mixed story. So I already mentioned most advisors are being asked about crypto. With that said, the reason we launched Flourish Crypto is because we thought advisors did not have good tools for accessing the space. Really, they didn't have tools at all. Um, there were some private funds and OTC traded trust, these very inefficient investment, more traditional investment vehicles. And that was really it. And so from the perspective of an advisor, they're watching their clients flock to the large retail exchange, open an account in a few minutes and start investing, and often felt like they were sitting on the sidelines, unable to participate, unable to help, unable to use this as a tool to keep assets within their orbit. And so, again, I think a little bit more of a mixed story in that the access and the tools really weren't there for financial advisors, or rather the solutions available to advisors often were worse than the solutions available directly to their end customer, their end clients. And that puts an advisor in a very challenging place. Now, I do think advisors are further along in the United States than in the United Kingdom, certainly. We're seeing kind of increasing numbers of RIAs, the, the, the wealth management firms adopting. We're seeing more and more interest at, at um, solutions. I was just speaking at a, at a conference and the room was packed for advisors interested in the solution. So I think they're, they're standing at the precipice often ready to find that solution that works for them, but still, still kind of opening, you know, approaching the space fresh, just getting started, just getting their feet wet. Yeah. And, and could you talk us through why this has been able to happen in America? And I, I realize things have moved more quickly, uh, you know, but to, again, bring that contrast, 
Um, in, in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority says that crypto assets are currently out, outside of their remits. Um, and again, I'm quoting from their website, when firms assess the risk crypto assets pose, they should use a similar approach to that for the regulated activities they conduct. Now, I can imagine if you are ultra wealthy, you, you can, well, if your client's ultra wealthy, sorry, you, you can probably invest them in crypto with some degree of confidence um, if you do it a certain way. But if you're a typical financial advisor, I can fully understand why they're not going near crypto. Now, now what's the situation in the US? Is, is the regulator giving more clarity on what you can and can't do? Is it going into specifics? Or has it, you know, said any words of, of relative in, encouragement? There, it's still an evolving landscape. With that said, there is more clarity for certain aspects of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And here, that's the word crypto can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different people. There are parts that are certainly off limits, and then there are parts where we see a very clear path forward. So the primary regulator of wealth managers in the United States is the SEC. One potential difference with wealth managers in the United States is they do have a pretty broad remit on what to invest in. They're not really constrained necessarily by their regulators in ordinary times. They just need to make sure that the products that they're offering are in the best interest of their clients. And most advisors we work with are held to a fiduciary standard, meaning they have to put the client's interests above and beyond their own. The challenge when it comes to crypto is that the primary regulators have given some mixed signals over time, whether or not crypto will be eventually regulated as investments or whether they are not going to be regulated as investments. And so one of the core challenges that advisors have had are not knowing, or the thing that I'm going to advise on, is it eventually going to be found to be an unregistered securities offering, in which case I might get in a little bit of trouble. What's really helped that and what's changed very much from our perspective is that over the past few years, the SEC staff, those primary regulators, have given very clear guidance that Bitcoin and Ethereum in particular are not securities. And by saying, SEC staff saying they are not securities, that opens up the blueprint forward or the path forward for advisors to bring those assets into their orbit. Now, when you get into the rest of the wide world of crypto, there are a lot of things that regulators are clearly saying they're not comfortable with. And there's an awful lot of things they're just not passing judgment on at all. And so for an advisor to go beyond Bitcoin and ETH, I think is a bit more of a risk management decision. Do you eventually think some of these things are going to be found like Bitcoin and ETH to not be securities? Or do you think they are potentially there's enough risk that you want to steer clear? And so it's okay for advisors to fall in all different places on the risk spectrum. What we always tell firms is if you're certainly if you're unsure or you're not particularly risk on when it comes to crypto, start with Bitcoin and ETH, where there is much more regulatory guidance. The SEC and their staff have put out a number of different risk alerts and um, other commentaries, really opening the path forward. We've done our own part. We uh, engaged a top 50 international law firm called Perkins Coie to author a white paper on crypto for registered investment advisors and uh, worked with a compliance consulting firm to help RAAs with all the disclosure language and policies and procedures, all the things they need to bring at least Bitcoin and Ethereum into their practice. So ultimately, that's where I'd say it stands right now in the United States. There is some clarity, certainly, for the two largest cryptocurrencies by market cap, really the, the dominant individual coins that are out there. There's a lot that is murky. And so for advisors approaching the space, 
They can, of course, make their own risk management direct, you know, um, decisions. We always think if you start with Bitcoin and ETH and you follow kind of SEC guidance, the risk alerts, prudent, tried and uh, true practices, there is absolutely a path forward. Yeah. And I'm, I assume you don't go any further outside of convention than, than Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, because uh, there's, there's right. so many coins out there, right? Right. We, we, we don't today. And I think interesting, again, coming back to one of your first questions, we don't see ourselves as a crypto startup. We are an advisor access and technology company. We started with these hundreds of wealth management firms for our cash business. Now, when we rolled out Flourish Crypto, maybe unsurprisingly, about two thirds of our initial, the firms we brought on board were existing clients of the cash business. We've onboarded about 70 RIAs or 70 wealth management firms to flourish crypto. About two thirds of those came over from the cash management business. What's interesting there is if you're a firm that signed up with us for cash management two or three years ago, you are by no means a crypto early adopter. Our, our average firms tend to be pretty large, pretty well established, hundreds or thousands of, of end clients, billions of assets under management. And so when we speak with those firms, when we speak with their compliance staff and their lawyers, overwhelmingly the guidance we get um, from them is that Bitcoin and Ethereum is certainly about as far as they're willing to go. That is not to say that there aren't other firms who choose other places on the risk spectrum to spend their time. For us and for this kind of real core American RIA, large, well-established, but certainly concerned about risk, that's really guided us and our own product roadmap. We would love to move past Bitcoin and ETH to other aspects of the crypto ecosystem, but we need to do that really in dialogue with our clients and make sure that we're building solutions that people want to offer. Yeah, but speaking today, it's the 16th of May when we record this. Um, you know what I'm going to bring up now, don't you? You'd be probably quite glad you're not, you've not gone outside of Bitcoin and ETH. We're, we're possibly, if you believe the worst of it, heading for another crypto winter because of the, uh, the Terra Luna crash. Um, I'll, I'll talk through that just a, just a little bit because I think some people listening in won't be following crypto too closely because we, you know, we cover all sorts of things on the Wealth Tech Show. Um, but the very, very basics of this is that there's been a major downturn in crypto due to the, the Terra USDT stablecoin slipping from its US dollar peg. Now, as this has happened, the value of a, relate, a related token, Luna, uh, which is described on Coindesk as playing an important role in maintaining the price of the stablecoin, fell dramatically and went from being valued at over $100 per coin on the 9th of March. It's it, well, to be now being worth significantly less than one cent which is, is quite terrible. I believe it's wiped about $45 billion off the market cap. Now, this was meant to be a, a reputable coin, according to some. It was a, a top 10 coin I, I, I've also read in several places. So, so Ben, what, what, how do you reflect on something like that? There's a lot to take in. Obviously, you steered well clear of it. But, but what do you make of that? And what do you think it says, if anything, about the future of crypto assets? Yeah, it's, it's certainly an important topic for advisors getting into the space to make sure they understand because they might be receiving questions uh, from their clients about topics just like this. I Just a minute ago, I, I said the world of crypto is, is really big, uh, is really wild. There are parts that are extremely well established. There are parts that are the wild, wild west, to use in a, a distinctly American expression. Um, Luna Terra, um, was refer was an algorithmic stable coin. Now, when you hear stable, you often think and should think something that's stable that doesn't lose its value. Stable coins are often referred to, or sometimes referred to as crypto dollars. You know, the dollars of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. 
part of the problem from our perspective is a pure plot problem of terminology. An algorithmic stablecoin is not a stablecoin at all. It is a highly speculative economic experiment that are prone to spectacular explosions like what we just saw this past week. And so ultimately part of the problem here is investors thinking something was safe by the very nature of the word stablecoin when it really, really wasn't. Um, that is completely in contrast to other stablecoins. Um, our crypto custodian that we use for Flourish Crypto has a company called uh, a stablecoin called USDP, uh, US dollar Paxos, where every stablecoin is backed one for one with a dollar in a bank account. That is just a or a similar cash equivalent, completely different product, yet the same overarching name. For us, this is, and particularly for the advisor we work with, this is where you start to see a pretty core role for prudent regulation, making sure that terminology is, is understandable, not you know all the traditional financial regulation around structure, reserves, redemption rights, but also disclosures, naming, regulation, you know, making sure that investors know what they are getting into. And so again, that's ultimately my reflection here on, on Luna Terra is this was a wild economic experiment planning, you know, promising some people 20% returns for a seemingly safe aspect, uh, same, seemingly safe asset. Really, this was an economic experiment, which crypto, it's one of the beautiful things about crypto. It's one of the dangerous things about crypto is it can move so fast that this coin can emerge out of nowhere, hit the top 10 and then be gone the next day. It's just, I think, important for our perspective to emphasize the education, emphasize the learning about what's going on and recognizing that the word crypto really means a thousand and one different underlying things. And this to me falls in the category of risky economic experiment that has very little bearing on what's going on in other parts of the crypto ecosystem. Yeah. And it's interesting because similar to any, any, any kind of wealth management professional who's involved across Europe in anything like this, I don't think they'd have gone near this. No, no credible person would have instructed anyone mm. to invest significantly in, um, you know, Luna Terra. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I do sort of wonder if with the regulators across the world not always being too quick to get into crypto, they've actually then left a bit of a knowledge gap. So when you have people commenting on crypto, they're not, they're not necessarily people who are qualified financial advisors or wealth managers. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Ben, if you think that perhaps, you know, our reluctance to get into the space, which is completely justifiable, has actually led to more people falling foul of these scams and not, not sorry scams yeah but experiments gone wrong let's just say <laughs> there, there, are, there are scams out there Ian. Yeah. let's we can yeah <laughs> my last podcast was on scams believe it or not on crypto scams but i, I didn't want to say this one was specifically a scam but it's certainly an experiment gone wrong C certainly an experiment got wrong and i i may even fall further on the thinking this was a too good to be true scam than than others but I, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. I think um, when advisors look at the cryptocurrency world, they're often completely turned off. People speaking with absolute hype, absolute hyperbole, guarantees about the future, um, claims you could never make in the world of traditional finance, and a lot of it permissible because of this lack of regulatory structure. You have um, people who have vast amounts to economically gain from a crypto experiment gone right, also being the biggest promoter, also being the person saying this thing is guaranteed to, you know, whether it's revolutionize the world or make you all 20% yield year over year, you are not seeing 
the sort of prudent discussion that you would see in the world of wealth management, whether in the United States, the United Kingdom, around the world. This to us is one of the core problems for advisors looking to get into crypto is that the crypto world doesn't speak their language, doesn't speak in terminology that they understand. And often, again, hyperbole, hype, scams, rug pulls, you name it. Now, I think you're, so, so it is part of something that we have tried to do is when we explain digital assets to advisors, that is completely not our tone. We are translating the world of digital assets into the world that advise, into the language that advisors understand and use and have used with their clients for decades. And I think that's one of the things that's made us stand out. Now, to your point, I think, you know, I, I think it's an interesting one, you know, I'd be, be speculating, but have advisors really held themselves back because their regulators haven't really allowed them to, to, to gain access to the space. I think it's an interesting theory and absolutely. Yes. Um, if I were a government regulator and I'm certainly not, I want, would want more people accessing the world of crypto within solutions that are regulated and under the advice and guidance of advisors who are really working in their best interest. That should be, in my mind, a guiding first principle of how regulators worldwide approach the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The way, the way I sometimes look at it, it's as though people decided en masse to, to you know, ask their advisor to invest them in the riskiest venture capital thing going. And yes, we might all get horrendous, you know, tremendously rich off of it, but I just can't see advisors encouraging anyone to invest significant wealth into something like crypto not not certainly if if they're regulated um yeah but, absolutely yeah. and and again the only only pushback i'll give you is the word crypto can mask so many different things even the word stablecoin can mask you know a fully us dollar backed reserve versus an algorithmic stablecoin propped up on nothing more than a than a story so you know, I, I know regulating this stuff is hard. I know that uh, approaching it kind of with a uniform standard is hard, but so much of this comes down to the words people use, the definitions they use, the disclosures they use, how open and transparent they are. And right now we are operating in really a completely, to what the crypto community often looks like a very transparent ecosystem to I think most regular investors, most regular people out in the world, it's a completely opaque box where it is hard to understand. Was this something that was supposed to be safe or something that was a risky economic experiment? And right now, there are definitely individual people who are feeling the consequences of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's look at the, you know, the the kind of fund investment vehicle side of this, because we've seen the rise of crypto ETFs. Again, you can't have them in the UK, but across several European nations, you can. I believe they've been uh, available in the US since 2021. Um, which, which vehicles do you think are, are the most popular right now when it comes to crypto investing for people that don't want to invest directly in the coins? Sure. Where, where I'd start is there actually is no crypto ETF, no pure crypto ETF available in the United States either. There have been some in Europe. There have been, I believe, in Canada. But mm -hmm. actually in the United States, there are um, a few, there are some futures ETFs. Right. And I'm not sure if you have the exact equivalent terminology in the United Kingdom, but there are uh, ETFs that are buying future shares of, of Bitcoin. And then there are these, uh, what I'll refer to as OTC traded private trusts, these private investment vehicles that go get traded publicly. And then I'd say the third category of kind of more traditional investment vehicle is investment fund. So futures ETFs, uh, private funds, and then these OTC traded trusts. The, the positive of, of, of all of them to some degree from the perspective of an advisor is that they're familiar vehicles. 
They look and feel like things that advisors have dealt with before. The problem across the board is that they are high fee and high tracking error. That's really, I would say, high tracking error is as the number one. They don't do a very good job of tracking the app's actual price of Bitcoin or of, of Ethereum. Um, the most prominent OTC traded trust, uh, by far the most popular kind of fund vehicle for accessing uh, Bitcoin in the United States. I believe Bloomberg found that in last year when Bitcoin went up 57%, that vehicle went up 7%. Massive, massive, massive problem here. So ultimately, to to answer your question, I I think advisors would love a true, pure, efficient ETF if it existed. It does not. And people have been predicting the year of the ETF for many years and it not actually coming true. Sometimes they look at these, you know, again, high fee, high tracking error vehicles or these, you know, heavily PDF paper based applications, all of which is far less efficient and a, you know, a far worse way of accessing the crypto ecosystem than some of the large retail exchanges and, and opening an account and, you know, putting a hundred bucks in, in a couple of minutes. So ultimately it puts advisors in a bit of a bind. Do you want to offer your clients something that is worse than something that they could buy themselves? Are you going to wait forever for the, you know, the holy grail efficient vehicle that may never come for, you know, may not come for years or when it comes, maybe it's Bitcoin only and investors have already moved beyond. You know, our own client base, we see about 70% allocations to Bitcoin, 30% to Ethereum. So if a Bitcoin ETF is approved some point in the future, it may not, that even that may not be enough. Ultimately, our, our, our house view is not necessarily that advisors want a fund. What they want is convenience. They want a crypto investment offering that fits into their advisory practice, where they don't have to learn a ton of new systems, where the regulatory compliance disclosures, you know, billing, you name it, everything just operates within their business. And so that's that's what at least the track we have taken. That is our challenge is how can we take direct ownership, which is undeniably the most efficient form of access to crypto, which gains you exposure to the crypto ecosystem should it poise to take over our entire world. But can you do it in a way that advisors can really incorporate crypto into their practice like any other asset? So they're not having to make that sort of trade-off of worse investment vehicle, but it's easy versus more efficient ownership solution, but it's but it's a little hard. So I, I think I got a little off track there from your original question, other than to say, I don't think there necessarily is consensus from, from the perspective of an advisor. They would love that efficient ETF if it existed. It doesn't. And right then and there, that puts advisors into a, you know, a, a world of trade-offs. Yeah, no, I, you did answer my question, actually. And, and in fun enough, when I looked at this a, a good few months ago, I saw the launch of an NFT ETF in America <laughs> where the underlying holdings would just clearly have no correlation to the right. NFT market. I mean, I think I think at the time the second biggest holding was eBay, which is, <laughs> you know it's just far too far right. too sensible <laughs> to, to kind of correlate with the the NFT market. And and also your point around uh, it being probably more sensible to be more directly invested is is an interesting one. And to that, I you know I, how much do you think advisors should know? about crypto before they invest their their clients in it? Because obviously you've got advisors investing people in asset classes and, and all sorts of things from across the world in different sectors. And you can't be expected to know everything about everything. But crypto seems a bit of an outlier, doesn't it? I mean, how, how much do people need to know about crypto before allowing their clients to invest in it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Certainly one that we get regularly. I think advisors need to be able to have a base level of understanding of things like what is a blockchain? 
what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? What are the differences between those two? What are the large, you know, crypto retail exchanges? What are those companies? How do they how do they op operate? Certainly around safety and security of assets. How do I know that these assets are going to be safe? I don't think they need to be experts in all things crypto. I'm not an expert. I'm far from an expert in all things crypto. It moves far too fast. There's far too much noise. There are far too many experiments that go bust and we'll never hear from again. So I think having that 101 level of knowledge is important. What's also important, I think, is approaching it with humility and approaching it with humility with your clients, saying, I'm I'm learning about this for the first time as well, or I've just started on my journey. Here's where, here's where I'm at. I, you know, I've opened an account at flourish and I've put in a thousand dollars and I'm, I'm, I'm just getting my feet wet as well. And I think that can lead to some very positive conversations because even though there are plenty of people deep, deep in the crypto universe who know everything and every, you know, everything about the world of crypto, the average client of a financial advisor is nowhere near there. They're, they're seeing the headlines. They're seeing the news. They're an, you know, maybe an elderly client whose grandchild is telling them at the dinner table, hey, you know, you need to invest. I really think you should invest a little bit in crypto. And so I think there's room for an advisor to go on a journey with their clients and approach it with humility and approach it saying, we're going to, you know, we're, we're learning about this for the first time as, as well. Now, the one, the kind of the next step here is I think advisors need to think about how they're going to use crypto within their practice. The bar gets a lot higher if you say, we are going to advise on it. We are going to actively trade on this. We're going to bill on these assets, include it within your net worth. The door is still open, but as advisors really bill on crypto and advisor really count it as part of the portfolio, I think the the standards only increase for them to understand that the, the solutions that they are recommending. In contrast, and something we actually do with our solution, but it's available in, in other you know realms as well, is we allow advisors to not take discretion i.e. to say, we're going to offer this, but we're probably not going to bill on it. We're not going to trade on it. We just want to make sure that our clients have a good solution that's out there. And we think that can be also a pretty powerful uh, middle ground for advisors who want to make sure that their clients have some degree of exposure or who are actually probably more to the point, who are worried that if they don't provide some degree of exposure, their clients are going to go do crypto elsewhere. So that's often the kind of uh, driving motivation for that advisor. So maybe to say, look, we're not ready to bill on these things. We're not ready to charge you. We're not ready to formally advise, but we want to make sure that you have a simple, secure way of getting in on your own that we can oversee and we can help with. And maybe again, that starts that that educational journey that help, starts that conversation and ensures, helps ensure that clients aren't going ahead and doing crypto elsewhere where the advisor can't see it where they can't advise on overall risk tolerance or tax planning or estate planning, overall investment management, where competitors to advisors are building relationships with advisors. And that's a whole practice management component that we talk to advisors about every day is ensuring you have some, some degree of a solution and have really a strategy around crypto because the alternative is not that your clients won't invest, it's that they're gonna do it elsewhere away from you in a way that's going to create problems over time. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting you mentioned the practice management side of it, because I think that brings me on to the next question quite neatly, which is the, um, well, to discuss the great wealth transfer. Now in the UK, I believe that's worth slightly north of five trillion pounds um, of money going from you know, generations who will eventually pass on to the next generation of clients. And as you look down the generations, it seems to me that the younger you go, the more interested people are in crypto. It's not to say there's no older people doing it, but 
certainly if we're looking for the key demographic, it's it's young men, isn't it? I mean, go, go figure, it's young men doing the, the risky thing. I <laughs> imagine you're as stunned as me, Ben. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, we do know this. And we and again, uh, looking at America, I, I also uh, was reading a while back that I think a lot of millennial and Gen Z millionaires, or at least on, in, on paper and in asset terms, millionaires are, are heavily invested in crypto, you know, crypto assets. And that possibly tells us something about where crypto assets fit into the intergenerational wealth transfer and keeping it within the premise of the advisor so what yeah what, what's your take on this are you, are you seeing this demographic difference in who invests in crypto and do you think there's a case to be made for advisors learning about crypto assets with a view to retaining younger people yeah absolutely so first by the numbers our average client age is 48 which is actually a little bit older than I think many people would think kind of approaching the space. And so what I think 48 is a healthy average age. It's not, it's a little younger than the average age of all clients of advisors, but it certainly means there are plenty of people who are a little later in life who are approaching crypto, who are interested in crypto. So take that as one, one data point. Our average client age certainly is not just a bunch of 20 year olds um, getting exposure for the first time. I think the interest is a lot broader. Um, one recent survey we, we we saw, again, certainly younger clients are more interested, younger investors more interested in crypto, but a recent survey found that 50% of retirement age clients were at least interested in Bitcoin investing, 50% interest in Bitcoin. That's that's an interesting fact. With that said, back to your, to your question, CNBC found that 83% of millennial millionaires are invested in crypto. 83% is a staggeringly high number. Now, millennials in the United States, 15 to 40, plus or minus. If you ask advisors, what client demographic do you want to win more of to make sure that your firm is around for the long time, long run? They're going to say wealthy, affluent, accumulator age clients, i.e. 30s and 40s, doctors, lawyers, professionals, technology executives, you name it. That exactly in that square demographic. And if you are an advisor, and you are trying to win more clients of that age, and you know that they are overwhelmingly investing in crypto. Really your best case scenario, if you don't offer crypto, is maybe you win the client, but you leave some portion of their assets on the table. You, you don't get to win those over as, as billable assets. You don't get to help the client with that. Obviously your worst case is that you don't win the client at all. You look out of touch for what is a probably a pretty important part of their financial lives, not necessarily even by raw dollar amounts, but by the experience of money Crypto has more salience than almost anything else. And so you risk looking out of touch and that's on winning the prospect kind of that conversation. It starts to get even more dire, I think, when you think about real next gen wealth transfer. In the United States, the stat is about $68 trillion estimated to pass down in the next couple of generations. That's stat one. Stat number two, Cerulea Research Institute estimates that about 70% of next-gen clients are going to fire their parents' financial advisor. 70% are going to fire their parents' financial advisor. And so already we covered prospects, people walking in the door. Now that advisor's thinking about how do I build their relationship with the 20-year-old, the 25-year-old who stands to inherit millions? Again, understanding where that client's mind is at, understanding that crypto is very, very, very high salience. It is an incredibly probably emotional part of their money. We think advisors just, it's almost a requirement, have to be fluid around the space. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to 
you know, advise on the assets and bill on them and trade on them and things like that. But certainly you need to be ready to have fluent conversations and show that this is one of the ways that your practice is thinking forward to the future. Yeah. And speaking to advisors that you, know, you work with now, do you, do you think this is an issue yet? Because it, as much as I can see it becoming a problem and as much as, you know, the, the data that you've just presented is quite compelling. And funnily enough, I, I referred to the same stuff when I was talking about this in an article about why British advisors should care mm. about decentralized finance and crypto assets. Um, but do you think it's really happening just now or are we just seeing the start of it? My perspective on this one is that with all that said, anybody who loudly proclaims the death of the financial advisor doesn't understand how advisors work. You know, mm -hmm. if you're an advisor and you don't offer crypto, I am not saying your business is going to go to zero tomorrow. At, like full stop, absolutely not. We heard the same thing with robo advisors a few years ago. Oh, you know, rise of the robo advisor. If advisors don't have solutions like that, they're going to fall off a cliff. Didn't happen. Advisors, by and large, in the United States have well you have retention rates that are often 90, 95, 98%. They are very, very good at building great relationships with clients and hanging on to them for the long term. So my, my first answer is nothing is going to fall off a cliff tomorrow if you don't offer crypto. With that, all that said, most RIAs in the United States are growing very slowly when you strip out market growth. Organic growth is very difficult, very hard to come by. And so for advisors, it is worlds different if you are growing at organically at a couple of percent or you are shrinking at a couple of percent. Your clients are often aging out or you know passing away faster than you're replacing them. And so I think the right frame of mind is not how dramatically is this going to change my business tomorrow? But rather, what happens over the next 10 years if my growth rate is a few percent higher because I'm that much better at engaging with the next generation, that much better engaging with millennials versus the contrary? What happens to my business if my growth rate is a couple of percent lower? And all of a sudden, I'm one of these RAs that are you know, on a, a slow you know, death spiral or I'm being acquired by another firm at a less attractive multiple, that sort of thing. I think that's the right level of, of, of analysis is what is this going to do to your, for your business over the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. and, and let's look at something else that's progressing as well, which is, which is blockchain technology. Obviously, crypto assets are built upon the blockchain technology. Um, we always hear so much. And actually, I think the mantra a couple of years ago for people that had no interest in investing in crypto assets was always, you know, it's about the blockchain, focus on the blockchain. That's where the real interesting stuff's happening. Um, and of course, it's distributed ledger technology it does allow us to do certain things and use money differently and resources and assets and all sorts of things. Do you see anything at the moment with, with blockchain that you think is, is causing significant improvement or potential significant improvement in wealth management and financial advice? Well, well, I'd start by, it is certainly driving a need for advisors to get up to speed on the space. You know, apropos yeah. of the entire conversation, it's, it's something kind of topical in the news, but I think if the question's a little bit more real world application, um, I don't think too much has changed yet, but there's an awful lot that's interesting. Um, some of the things that we are kind of looking at pretty closely, securities settlement on the blockchain, moving out of these antiquated 40-year-old systems in the United States to something that is potential to be far more, far faster, more secure. Um, securities issuance in the blockchain, even a step further. I think there's all kinds of very interesting real-world applications. And then even real assets. So getting to something like gold or getting to something like real estate, putting that on the blockchain, those I think have the potential to be, you know, 
wildly disruptive to, to, to really the world, the financial world. With that said, I'm, I'm often reminded of a famous Bill Gates quote that I'm going to horribly paraphrase for my own purposes, which is basically people wildly overestimate the amount of change that'll happen in a year, and they wildly underestimate the amount of change that'll happen in 10 years. And I think you broadly, you see that you know uh, across the board. We see that with electric cars right now, where people 10 years ago were saying this is the year of the electric car and, and didn't happen. And all of a sudden, I think the, the, the signs are lining up for electric cars to completely change the world in the, in the 2020s. Blockchain, I want to approach with humility. I don't know what's going to, to happen. I don't know whether they will completely change the financial system. We're all, we're all watching the space, but I think there's a chance that they completely transform the financial ecosystem. And so as that prudent wealth manager, you have to embrace that uncertainty and you know, recognize that not investing might be more of a risk than, than getting your feet wet and beginning to explore the space. Yeah, really interesting take. And, and Ben, I've got one more question for you. And again, it's quite big picture stuff. I, I feel like I'm, I'm testing you with some of these questions today, but you're, you're doing a damn good job. Um, is Obviously, we see this rise of decentralized finance and the traditional world. Uh, and you, know, you said earlier about advisors, it's not, you know, they're not going away. I tend to take a similar view on traditional finance. I don't, I don't see it going away anytime soon, but we do see this rise of DeFi, of cryptocurrency, of blockchain, of crypto assets. What do you think the future looks like for decentralized finance and traditional finance? Do you think, do you think they have to coexist? Do you think it's a case of using you know, traditional finance for one thing and decentralized finance for another thing? Or do you think there has to be ultimately a, a kind of winner in that space? Certainly test me with the big questions. And this one I think is starting to get real above my real high above my pay grade. So I'll, I'll start with humility. And my, my crystal ball yeah. today is very cloudy. Maybe tomorrow I'll have it all figured out, but but today is cloudy. Um, my very personal take, and this isn't Flourish's house opinion, is that the most important applications will become intertwined. In that the world of decentralized finance and the world of traditional finance are not going to, in my again, my personal but very potentially wrong take are not going to set aside as completely separate ecosystem. But rather, if DeFi becomes more and more viable, traditional finance is going to enter the space, whether to provide financing, to receive financing, or eventually because they see it's a better method of housing records or insurance policies or, or issuing assets, whatever, whatever you may see fit. So that's traditional finance entering the space. At the same time, I think crypto native companies are very clearly seeing the benefit of centralization, of whether your Coinbase's or your OpenSea's, of the ability to transform crypto into a beautiful, easy user interface, which takes ultimately a, a centralized company. Most people are not you know, exploring the, the blockchain directly and, and running their own mining nodes, um, not the types of people that, that, that we work with. Yes. So ultimately, uh, again, my take is that the power isn't necessarily in the decentralization. The power is the interoperability, the ability of these systems to intertwine fast for people to experiment fast for these systems, you know, speed of development, widespread access. I don't have to go to another company and ask for permission to access their APIs. I know they don't have APIs at all, or they don't have APIs, you know, documentation at all. The systems are designed to stack and build on top of each other. So, with my limited, you know, hazy crystal ball, that's my two cents is the more powerful applications will become more intertwined with centralized finance until one day we say it's not really DeFi versus CeFi at all. It's it's just the next evolution of, of financial services across the world. 
I think you took that question pretty well there, Ben. I've got to say, <laughs> thank you. Um, look, I am actually going to ask you one more thing. Sure. I have an annoying habit of doing that. Um, <laughs> and, that and that question is hopefully a bit more of a straightforward one. Uh, and in the UK, you know, I've, I've mentioned our financial conduct, conduct authority being a bit a bit late to the, the game with this one. Um, but they have at least put together a crypto sprint this month. You know, experts brought together to talk about what the future of regulation might look like. I do see signals that they're taking it seriously. So I think in time, we will see product providers in the UK entering the crypto asset space and, and, and serving financial advisor needs in that way. As someone who's gone from being a more conventional product provider and then extending your service into crypto assets, what advice would you have for those people? Yeah, that... I mean, ultimately, it'll depend on on who their audience is. If you're building crypto solutions for broad-based investors, retail audiences, I think you take a very different playbook if you're building for financial advisors. So I'll, I'll maybe I'll limit my 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 advice here to the world of financial advisors, wealth managers, um, recognizing that change management is hard. That advisors have spent decades warning clients against things that look too speculative or that they don't understand or, or uh, against the complexity. And now crypto, I think, it, from our perspective, unmistakably has entrenched itself, uh, you know, tens of millions of people, multi-trillion dollar asset class. I think really paying attention to that change management, to the behavioral side of it, of recognizing, you know, within, for us often, within one wealth management firm, you might have one advisor who's really gung-ho and, and ready to go and wants to invest. And then to others who say, I, I don't want to touch this at all. I don't, I don't understand this. It feels too new. And so taking the kind of personal behavioral side of it just as seriously as, let's say, the investment merits, I think is, is really important. A huge part of what we do is not just build the right product. It's think about how do we help you with compliance? It's think about how do we help you with education? It's think about that story I've been telling around, how can this help your firm? It's not just you know, crypto is going to the moon, you should invest and it's going to go up 10x. Like, I, I have no idea. Um, it, you know, it's being there with advisors on the journey and saying, I know this is hard. I know this is new. I know that a lot of what you see from the world of traditional crypto or the world of traditional crypto, the world of crypto <laughs> really is a, is a huge yeah. turnoff. And that's it's okay to feel that way. Here's how we interpret it for, for you, for your audience. Here's how we bridge those worlds with the language you've been used to hearing for decades, applying to your, you and your clients and your challenges. So ultimately it's, again, taking that behavioral side, taking the change management just as seriously as everything else. Because when you don't, when advisors don't um, believe, when they don't want to believe, they will find a million and one speed bumps to shut the door. If you can help change their, their perspective to this is worth giving a chance, or this is worth a little bit of belief, or again, that humility, I don't know if it's going up, down or sideways, but I think there's, you know, you should have exposure because of the, the uncertainty, it could go up. I think you start to bridge that gap and then start to open more of a dialogue on how advisors can genuinely overcome the speed bumps, genuinely overcome the regulatory compliance hurdles, and really think about how crypto fits into their business and their practice. Brilliant. Ben, thank you so much. That is all we have time for. And I won't jump you have any extra questions now. But thank you so much uh, for joining the Wealth Tech Show. It is genuinely great to hear about how product providers are embracing crypto in the US. And, and as I suggest, hopefully gives us an insight into where other markets and, and you know, possibly even the UK eventually will, will go too. So thanks also to everyone listening. I'm Ian Horn. This has been the Wealth Tech Show, and I'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.